One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've always been too scared to go scuba diving. Snorkeling, sure. But diving deep down into the water with only a tank of oxygen strapped to your back to keep you from dying? It freaks me out. In nature, animals do this all the time. Of course, there are sea mammals like dolphins and whales who hold their breath underwater for up to 90 minutes at a time. But there are also creatures who can swim underwater that you might not expect. Creatures like the flies of Mono Lake, California. Mono Lake is an incredible, completely Instagram-worthy place. Tucked into the Sierra Nevadas, 13 miles east of Yosemite National Park, Mono is one of the oldest lakes in the Western Hemisphere. It was formed at least 760,000 years ago. The lake itself is a huge basin full of very salty, highly alkaline water. And all around the edges are these Dr. Seussian formations called tufa. They're these crooked, lumpy towers of limestone that resemble a drip sandcastle. And it's also home to some very strange flies. Huge swarms of them, in fact, that can swim in the lake. You can see them slipping under the water, swimming around, laying their eggs beneath the surface where they're protected from predators, and eating the algae that populates the waters. The thing is, flies don't usually swim. There are aquatic insects, but they don't also live outside the water and, you know, fly. In this strange, ancient place, these local residents have evolved this bizarre ability And though we've known about it for generations, scientists only discovered how the flies are able to do this last year. On today's episode, we'll hear from experts who describe just how strange and unusual these scuba diving flies are, including a famous American author, and uncover how scientists went about solving the mystery of these unique insects. This is Science Solved It, and today's episode scuba diving flies. Welcome to Science Solved It, Motherboard's show that explores the world's greatest mysteries that were solved by science. I'm Kaylee Rogers. It's hard to describe just how unique and strange Mono Lake is as a place even before you realize there are scuba diving flies living in the water. 
It's about 12 miles across at its widest point. Um, so it's a huge lake. Uh, and in the middle, there's um, there's one big island and then a slightly smaller island and then a bunch of other smaller islands. And then around the edges, there's these structures called tufa. That's Flores Van Bruegel, a biologist from the University of Washington. Yeah, so they're these very strange looking towers about 15 feet tall for the most part. Some of them are sticking up out of the lake water. Some of them are on land, but they all formed underwater. And then as the lake level dropped, they became exposed. Um, and they come in sort of these groupings that correspond to the the springs that are underwater. So they'll form in sort of these lines um, of these strange, they're like kind of like fingers poking out of the water. Very strange looking, very rough texture. They're sort of a light gray beige sort of color. Flores is one of the researchers who helped solve the mystery of the Mono Lake flies. But it's also a place he had visited many times before, because he grew up in California. Flores explained that Mono Lake is what's known as a terminal lake. It means water flows into it, but it doesn't flow out. This is what makes the water so incredibly salty and alkaline, and what causes the tufa to form. Because the lake is so alkaline, it has this sodium carbonate and sodium bicarbonate. As uh, spring water from underneath the lake containing calcium bubbles up through the lake, um, it forms these towers called tufa. And then as the lake level has gone down over time for a number of reasons, those tufa structures have become exposed. And so that's what most people that uh, visit the lake uh, see and, and are you know, impressed by is these really beautiful and interesting and strange and otherworldly towers of, uh, of calcium carbonate. But even with such a high alkaline level, it's not dangerous to swim in. In fact, Flores himself has done it. I do recommend that visitors give it a try, but you come out quite salty, and it's also difficult to swim because it's the lake is so dense compared to normal water you'd be used to. So you can basically just float on your back. So it's a, quite an experience, but if you have any cuts, those sting uh, like mad. <laughs> As you can imagine, Mono Lake is a noteworthy place to begin with. But then there are these flies. These little flies, called alkali flies, are typically six millimeters long, about half the width of your pinky. They're little guys, and they congregate in these huge swarms all around the edges of the lake. If you look closely, you'll soon realize the flies don't just hang around on the shore for long. They dive into the water, swim around, eat, lay their eggs, and avoid predators. Well, you can see there's a fly, but it sort of just looks like an air bubble that's kind of cruising along the bottom of the lake uh, on on these uh, rough tufa structures, these rocks that are underwater. So yeah, you would think like that the bubble should float to the surface, but since there's a fly inside it and it's holding on to the, the substrate, it just looks like this little bubble cruising around. So strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an unusual sight. Mark Twain even wrote about it in his travel book about camping and hiking in the American West, roughing it. Here's what Twain said about Mono Lake and its amphibious inhabitants. Then there is a fly, which looks something like our house fly. These settle on the beach to eat the worms that wash ashore. And anytime, you can see there a belt of flies an inch deep and six feet wide. And this belt extends clear around the lake, a belt of flies 100 miles long. If you throw a stone among them, they swarm up so thick that they look dense, like a cloud. You can hold them underwater as long as you please. They do not mind it. They are only proud of it. When you let them go, they pop up to the surface as dry as a patent office report. 
This unique ability to swim underwater serves a very important purpose for the flies. If they laid their eggs on the rocky shore instead of in the water, the pupae would dry out and die, or get eaten by birds. Being able to dive into the lake also means the flies have access to food. The algae that grows in the water is the fly's main source of sustenance in an otherwise barren landscape. So without this scuba diving superpower, the alkali flies never would have survived in the harsh climate around Mono Lake. And that would have led to a dire ripple effect. Because hundreds of years ago, for example, the Native American tribe that lived in the region relied on these flies as an important food source. A long time ago, more than 200 years ago at least, the Native Americans that lived in that area, the Kutsadika tribe, they used to harvest these flies, the pupae of these flies, as an important food source. Um, so their name, Kutsadika, actually means fly eaters. And there were enough flies that they would go out there with baskets and sort of scrape the, the pupae um, off of the substrate of the lake and dry them out. Um, I haven't gotten to try them yet, but from what I understand, they're sort of like the texture and, and size and shape of, of rice grains, but they're very high protein, so it's basically a, a high protein, high fat kind of food source. So that was really important in that area. Apparently, they also even traded those across the Sierra Nevada, so they're a pretty desirable food source, even for other tribes. These little, weird, scuba-diving flies have turned out to be really valuable to the local ecosystem. Does it have anything to do with their special aquatic abilities? How exactly are they plunging themselves underwater and then emerging bone dry and flying away light as a feather? And how did scientists even go about solving such a weird little mystery? When we come back from the break, I'll reveal the secret behind the alkali fly's deep sea diving skills and how researchers managed to crack the case with the help of some homemade fly dunking machines. We'll be right back. Hey guys, if you like our show, you might also want to check out Science Versus, a podcast from Gimlet Media that takes on fads, trends, and the opinionated mob. Science Versus dissects what's fact, what's not, and what's somewhere in between, like their recent episode on serial killers. Then he used her head for a dartboard, but he wasn't done killing. You never turn your back on a serial killer. That's Science Versus, hosted by Australian science journalist Wendy Zuckerman. Science VS. Welcome back to Science Solved It. So, full disclosure, while working on this episode, my producer Sophie told me it was one of the geekiest ones we've ever done. Apparently she was not as enthralled with scuba diving bugs as I was. But I'm not alone in my fascination, and with my delight over the science done to solve the mystery. I mean... I had to find another science journalist, but I found someone who loved this story as much as I do. Now, this was a good one. I'm Joanna Klein, and I'm a freelance science journalist, and I write for the Trilobites column at the New York Times. Last year, when Flores' research about the alkali flies was published, Joanna jumped on it for her column, where she details recent scientific findings for a general audience. It's not always easy to figure out which studies are worth diving into. It's a lot of science words that I look up and like once you look them up, then you're like, oh, this is weird. Like I thought it might be. But this one was just like these flies dive underwater and make a bubble around them. Mark Twain saw them 100 years ago and was like, oh, they just pop up out of the water dry. 
When you let them go, they pop up to the surface as dry as a patent office report. And so, yeah, it was like immediately, okay, this is pretty interesting. Part of what made this research so interesting was how Flores and his advisor, Michael Dickinson, went about working to unravel the mystery. Simply observing the flies in action showed that somehow they were forming a tiny bubble around their bodies, allowing them to stay dry underwater. It's like they were making teeny, natural little submarines to cruise around in. But what wasn't clear was how they were making these bubbles. I first saw Mono Lake in, I think, either 1995 or 96. That's Flores' advisor. My name is Michael Dickinson, and I am the Zerm Professor of Biology and Bioengineering at Caltech. Side note, Michael's email address is flyman, something we had to ask him about. I, I wouldn't say it's a nickname. I'm actually a little bit embarrassed by it. it. It dates back to the early, early, early days of email. Every time I picked a simple email, it, it was taken. So I just said, all right, whatever, flyman. And had I known <laughs> you know, what email had become, and now it's at the point that whenever I, I have the opportunity to change my email address, my lab is just incredulous with the idea that I would change it. So I'm kind of stuck with it. And then, then my kids get into the act. So one time I went away on a trip and when I came back, they changed my license plate to Flyman, which is downright embarrassing. That's, that's how the Flyman thing goes. Okay, okay. Anyway, Flyman, uh, I mean, Michael, was mesmerized by the flies from the first moment he saw them. But at that time, he didn't have the bandwidth to investigate their swimming skills himself. I was lucky enough to be there at the time of year where they're very active and saw them crawl under the, the water. And I, I thought it was just the you know craziest and most interesting thing I'd ever seen. So it was not at all as a scientist, but just as a, a tourist that I first encountered the flies. And at the time, I was a, a, a professor at, at UC Berkeley, and I tried to get an, a student, one of my graduate students, interested in the topic. Uh, so this would have been you know, roughly over 20 years ago. But for a variety of reasons, that individual sort of you know, lost interest with, with the project, and I was busy with other things. But I always wanted to get back to... The, the flies and understanding, you know, how they can crawl under the water and why they cr crawl under the water and why they don't get wet and, you know, all, all the sort of questions that we've tried to address. It wasn't until Flores joined Michael's lab that he realized he'd finally found the right person for the job. Flores's main aim was to understand the biomechanics behind the flies' diving abilities. They knew the bubble formed, but how? To start unraveling the mystery, Flores built a special device. Yeah, so the first thing was um, was just measuring the forces of dunking a fly into the water and, and pulling it back out. A fly dunker. And just so I'm clear, so you were literally, you had flies at 
attached to little rods and we're physically dunking them in and out of the water. Yeah, I forget that this is a a novelty to most people because this is a routine kind of thing we do in the lab. Uh, (laughs) But so we would go out, we'd catch flies, and then we cool them down so they stop moving too much, and then use some little UV glue and glue the fly to a little tungsten beam, a little rod. And so then they're kind of kicking around and but they're attached to this uh, to this rod, and then, yeah, you can dunk them in the water, do other kinds of experiments with them. Flores wanted to see if there was something special about the water in Mono Lake that made the bubble form around the flies. But he actually found the bubbles formed when he dunked flies in any kind of water. In fact, the best, most robust bubbles formed in pure H2O. That meant there had to be something about the flies themselves that enabled the bubbles to form. All insects, but especially these alkali flies that live at Mono Lake, are quite hairy. Uh, If you look at them under a scanning electron microscope, you can really see that structure. And so in between each of those hairs, when that comes into contact with water, there will be a little pocket of air. These microscopic hairs on the body of the flies are coated in a waxy layer of hydrocarbons, which helps repel the water. As the flies breach the surface of the water, the tiny pockets of air between the hairs are forced together by the pressure, and the fly is coated in its little scuba suit. You can kind of think of it as a a dry suit or a superhero costume that the flies wear as they crawl into the water. Flores and Michael were able to find out extremely technical aspects of this interaction, like the fact that a certain compound in the water sodium carbonate, actually made it really difficult for these bubbles to form. They think that the carbon ions settle near the surface of the water, creating a negative charge, which attracts water toward those little pockets of air as the fly dives in. What it really means is that the fact that these flies can perform this trick in such inhospitable water makes it an even more remarkable trait. But as I mentioned, my producer Sophie was not as entranced by the science behind this mechanism. Once we dug a little further into the significance of Mono Lake, we realized just how vital these strange swimming flies are. Here's Michael again. I mean, I should say the other main component of the ecology, which, you know, I've neglected to mention so far, is also the birds. The birds. Mono Lake is unique in many ways, one of which being that it's an essential pit stop for migratory birds. As Basically an oasis in an otherwise dry, barren landscape, Mono Lake provides a place to rest, eat, drink, and recover for birds migrating across the continent. Nearly two million birds use Mono Lake as a pit stop every year. From the birds' perspective, there are these super essential resources during their, you know, migration and, 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 and breeding. So it's just one of these places where perhaps because of its relative simplicity with respect to other ecosystems. I mean, this, it's not the tropical rainforest where there's like, you know, thousands of species all connected in a food web. It's, it's relatively simple, but as a consequence, you can see those connections very clearly. And I find that very rewarding because, um, you know, the world's a complicated place and it's, it's, it's hard to see, you know, the connectedness of the world because the webs are so dense. But even if you don't particularly care about scuba diving flies or migratory birds or surface water chemical interactions, at the end of the day, this is what science, and science solved it, is all about. 
I believe very, very firmly that there are mysteries all around us. And I, I think it's, it's easy to feel in this era of, you know, extreme technology that the, the, the only times you see mysteries in physics is, you know, at the end of microscopes or in, you know, atom smashers or in LIGO or um, that the mysteries in biology um, are, you know, deep in the rainforest and, or, you know, in inex- inaccessible places. And, you know, I, I, I think there are mysteries in physics, chemistry, biology, you know, in our backyard, wriggling in our garbage can, um, inside our gut. <laughs> I mean, and our experience with the Mona Lake flies is good evidence of that. It's just a compelling example that we there's still a lot to explore right you know right around us that almost anything when you start to dig in you know past the the patina you you find a lot of inexplicable phenomena that that still require you know work and exploration whether big or very small science is one very good way to solve a mystery Science Solved It is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you get your shows. You can find us on Twitter, at Science Solved It. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Cases, with production assistance by Ryan Lentini and John O'Brien. Our theme music is by Rexinus. Thanks so much for listening. Next time on Science Solved It. Yeah, there actually were quite a few. There were stories that people had put dye into it and had never seen the dye that they threw in ping pong balls and never saw the ping pong balls. And they threw in signs and different things and uh, none of it ever came back up. That was, those were the stories. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.